This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Claire Bonnyman. And I'm Min Dariwal. And welcome to The Loop. So Edmonton hit a new high this year. Uh, I think it was just like a month ago. All the news stories were like, hey, we're over a million people, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I don't know. Did that strike you any particular way? Reaching that milestone? I heard that. And I I think like, you know, I I mean, you know, I didn't kind of just like start texting people and going, hey, we're over a million. (laughs) I mean, Calgary's always been over a million. That would be a weird response for the record. (laughs) That would be Uh, Calgary's always kind of been over a million. And so... You know, we're, we've kind of been trying to get there. But I, I've always felt that, like, when you uh, incorporate Sherwood Park and Leduc and St. Albert and Fort yeah. Saskatchewan, Drayton Valley even to a certain extent, like, yeah. we, we, we've always kind of been there. We've always all, been up. All those communities come in and, and work or live and play yep. to a certain extent in Edmonton. So, yeah, I mean, it feels like a million people, that's for sure, on well, some days. this is the thing. I think there is something about, like... Even before, like, because obviously the stats, it's not as if there's like one day and then all of a sudden they announce it. They're like, oh, we just yeah. hit a million because a baby was born. But right. that would be wild. But there's like a feeling when a city gets to that point and becomes bigger and the yeah. community grows and there's a different level of density. And obviously the pandemic's changed thing a, a bit, yeah. but there is that feeling, right? And there is a kind of... I don't know, excitement that comes with being a million. That's a significant amount of people. Yeah, I tell you what, before the pandemic, you know, I would often uh, ride the train uh, to downtown. And I I felt like... Sardines. I mean, you know, especially when you grow up in a city uh, for a number of years and you kind of compare it to different stages of your life. Yeah. Yeah, there was times where the LRT... I mean, there was a point where there was like five or six stations downtown and you could ride for free. Right. Those days are over and have been for a long time because, yeah, you can see the ridership, right? At some times during the day, it's just nuts. And with this new line to the southeast, like my old uh, stomping grounds, Millwood's like, you wait. You wait till you see the numbers on that train. Like if you don't get on like early and, and quick. Quick in the morning, you won't get a spot. I'm excited Guaranteed. to see. That's going to be like a big city feeling that I think yeah. I've been craving in the pandemic. I haven't had a yes. chance, and and I think it's again like just the big the feeling you get when you're yeah. like, oh yeah, we are one of many folks, and yeah. And that train you've seen it outside downtown, like yeah, on 102nd. It gorgeous. looks cool. It looks big city. I feel like yeah. If you if you look at the train and then close your eyes, you kind of feel like, well, maybe Europe is a stretch, but. <laughs> It's a huge stretch. shoot for the moon. Land yeah. in maybe the look, United States somewhere. Don't look at the train with the with the library in the background yeah. because then I you'll lo- just hear we all are of not the people getting into get a library debate. Why, yeah, right now I will defend tank. the biblio tank. Biblio tank. I think that's a great name. Turning back to the idea of population, though, um, there are a few ways, of course, that populations kind of grow and change, and that's how we get to a million. You know, it's like the comings and goings yeah. of people, right? Yeah. But the big news right now is there's one demographic that's leaving, and a new study from the Canada West Foundation has confirmed that young people are leaving Alberta, which is something that I think a lot of people have suspected or yeah. kind of known for a while. It's not a surprise necessarily. I think I know why they are leaving, but I, <laughs> I, and I, but I kind of don't know want to know why. Yeah, well... Th- we're going to find out. Um, sure. But specifically, it, it, this one was interesting because it looked at 25 to 29-year-olds. So it kind of a small bracket there Yeah. Um, to find out why they're moving, what they're looking for, because so many more young people have left Alberta than are coming in, right. which is a change for so many years. You know, it was the opposite. Yeah. Right? Often timed with things like oil booms. But that trend really reversed in 2016 and hasn't bounced back. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised that's happening because the Edmonton that we live in now, um, whether you look at demographics or, you know, like the the different scenes in town, yeah. arts and culture, 
you know, the restaurant scene, like it's a different place compared to what it was five, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Like, like 15 years ago, you know, people would be like the some of the places and the choices you had to go and, and do things yeah. was like tiny. Well, and so we should clarify, man, you're not part of this 25 to 29 I, year old. I'm not. <laughs> and I'm comparing it to when I was 25 and 29. And 1995, Edmonton was a very... Sad place, <laughs> but that is a valid point. And and even though you're outside of this demographic, Depressing. I still want to throw a question at you because yeah. there's a part of the study which is identity. Yeah. And um, even though you're not in this, I'm no. still going to ask you because I, I want to know your response. How do you identify when you think of place? So yeah. someone asks you where you're from. Are you are you Canadian? Are you an Albertan? Or are right. you an Edmontonian? Yeah, and, and just for the record, like I I know I'm not even uh, like close to that demographic, but I feel I can still roll with that demographic. Oh, you're cooler than just I for am, what it's for worth. The record, yes, right. You are I don't 25 know why I just did air quotes, at heart. But, so. Oh, at heart, yeah. That number, number, it's just a number, and <laughs> if I reverse that number, I could be 25. Yeah, hundred percent. See, so, nailed it. There it is. Okay, so are you? I just gave away my age. You Jesus. did. Are you an Albertan, Edmontonian, or a I, Canadian? I Mr. think I'm, I'm all of the above, but. Uh, which were, what do you identify with most? Edmontonian. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I'm from E-Town. I'm a Jaeger. And uh, yeah, this, this is my city. Much like Mike Connolly, I, you know, I will uh, carry the flag, Edmonton flag around. City of Everywhere. Champions. I'm proud. I'm proud of this place. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, Albertans, yeah, I've questioned myself a little bit about that one, but let's not go down that road. No, but it, this is kind of what the really cool part of the study is, though, yeah. is that this idea of identity and what you call yourself is so much a part of who you are. Yeah. Um. So here's just a little taste from Janet Lane. She's the lead author of the two reports. She was on Edmonton AM this week. Youth in Alberta, it's interesting because they have a different perception of place. So Calgarians identify first, but most, most people identified with Calgary as their place uh, that, you know, the, where they were from. Mm-hmm. In Edmonton, they identified their country first. And in uh, rural Alberta, so, you know, outside of the two main cities, so I know it's not all rural, but we did look at southern, central and northern Alberta, and they were, um, they were identifying with the province. Wow. But more, more people in big cities outside, like Vancouver and Toronto, identify with their cities. It's their young people identify the, their own personality with the place that they, that they live in. They want to, they think that the place they live, uh, reflects their own values. So that was a really interesting piece. And more Albertans have said that they are interested in moving outside of their province, whereas in Toronto and Vancouver, people would be more interested in moving within their province. So At least I'm thinking? not a Calgarian. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. Ooh, hiss, hiss. I knew. But it is Calgary kind of interesting Bulls. to think of young Edmontonians are like, no, 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 I'm, I'm Canadian. I'm Canadian. Right? Well, why is that? Well, and I'm, I mean, I fit into that, but that's because I, I moved. I've lived yeah, so you're many from places. Else. So, but, but that's the knock. That's always been the knock for Calgary. It's always been people from somewhere else who moved there. But they're Calgarian, apparently. Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> you like, you know, the stampede. I don't. Know. The other thing, though, that that um, Janet did was she looked specifically at Edmonton and our young people. And and Min, I think I think you're going to find this really interesting. 
you know, and you know this from Edmonton. If you're there, you love it. It's it's a place that people really belong to, and they feel very strongly about their city. But they um, so more people, fewer people were interested in moving absolutely outside of Edmonton. Um, whereas in Calgary, it's the other way around. They're more interested in moving out of the city. Young people, especially the younger people in this cohort, mm. but. Um, unfortunately, I'm seeing we we did see a lot uh, of negativity about moving to Edmonton from people in Toronto or or Vancouver. They're not as attracted to Edmonton as they would be to Calgary, but they're not attracted to Alberta at all, really. Yeah. Um, however, young people in northern Alberta would very very easily move into Edmonton. So, I mean, you made a bunch of faces there. Yeah. You went through a range of emotions. Carry me on that journey. Yeah. I mean, you know, people not want, I mean, if you're coming from Toronto or Vancouver, yeah, Edmonton is not Toronto or Vancouver. So why even come here then? Yeah. Like what? Yeah. So I could is, see that. There's niceness though in knowing that the young people that are here are also, you know, Jaegers like you, right? Yeah. Like that kind of pride. No, you, I think you you need to have that pride, that civic pride. I mean, if you're going to live in a city, I mean, you, you need to kind yeah. of pump the tires on it, right? Otherwise... You're not going to feel good about where you live. No. And so, um, but I think it's changing. I think, you know, when the average price of a house in a place like Toronto or Vancouver is a million over a million dollars and, you know, you come to Edmonton and you can get something for whatever, you name the price, but that's changing too though now here. It is, right? yeah, and, it is. And like we're seeing it in the market, it's people are coming in and buying on spec. I don't know if it's investors or it's people that are just saying like, hey, I'm getting a bigger bang for my buck. Yeah. Um, you know, the um, the value uh, and, and the lifestyle you can have here and not sitting in traffic and all of those things, I think you have to incorporate all of that and, and the work that's available and, and, and what have you. So uh, people may knock Edmonton for whatever reason. I think, you know, any of the issues that, Edmonton has gone through. I, I don't think you'll find a city that isn't going through some of that themselves. Definitely. Um, I think uh, people, once they take a closer look, they're like, hey, you know what? Yeah, it's not not, not a bad place. Yeah, well, it's cold as hell, <laughs> but... Cold, cold city, warm people. Yeah. And I've, I've heard that phrase too, that, that it kind of, it does like suck you in a little bit, right? Like, and I think yeah, a lot of that you've been here is, for a while. Like, I have. I, I did, I, I can honestly say I didn't know that I was going to be here this long, but it'll be four and a half years soon. There you go. Um, came here from Toronto, right? Yeah. And it's, and it is, it's, it's once you're here, you experience the city in a different way. I would call you an adopted Edmontonian now. <gasps> Thank you. Yeah. Like, I think you've earned your Edmonton stripes. Oh, do I get, actually get stripes or like a shirt or yeah, something? Yeah, well, we can, could try to we can work something on, okay. or put some tape or something. Um, uh, but of course, so I actually, I wanted to dig into this a little bit deeper though. And the voice that I didn't really keep hearing, I wanted to go to the source, oh, you know, okay. um, when I heard this report, it actually reminded me of the conversation that we had back in the fall. It was during the Young Vote series right? That with was good. Yeah. Shane Scott. Um, Shane's 27 years old. So smack dab in the middle of this uh, spread of 25 sure. to 29. He grew up in Calgary, but he moved to Edmonton for school and has stuck around since. And he joins us now on the loop to talk about his reaction to the study. Hey, Shane, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. So what did you think when you heard about this official report that young people are leaving Alberta? What was your reaction? You know, I'm going to be honest. I actually wasn't that surprised when <laughs> I did see the article. Yeah. Um, it, it definitely confirmed what I've been noticing uh, among my kind of 20-something friend group. A lot of people who are, are either considering or have already moved out of the province. And so, yeah, I thought it was... It was interesting to see that it confirmed through a study, I suppose. I mean, I'm curious. So in your friend group, right, when you're having those conversations in your own circles, what does that look like? Yeah, I think for a lot of my friends, they left for what what they thought was going to be a, a new opportunity or 
um, I would say like a move towards what they assumed would be a better life, you know, like more, I don't even know how to describe it. Like it, I feel like people left for the idea of leaving, like the idea that it's going to, the grass is greener on the other side. Uh, and whether that was Ontario or BC where most of my friends have gone. Yeah. They, they had a, found a reason to go and were very quick to jump to, to leave. Yeah. I mean, what kind of things is it that you think is making that grass look so much greener? I think part of it's the life and like the perception of quality of life. Um, a lot of my friends moved either to the interior or to the coast. And I think the idea that you're, especially coming from Edmonton, that you'd be closer to the mountains, the climate's a lot more moderate. Um, and also, I think that the the perception, at least, is that like cities there are, are a lot more inclusive and um, fun and younger. And so I think that's kind of what makes it look like, and maybe that's just looking through rose-colored glasses and people are wanting to leave, I'm not sure, but... Yeah, I think a lot of people are leaving for the the idea that it'll be a better place to live. What are people saying about staying in the city, whether that's talking negatively about it or they want to stay here? What is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting among my friend group. We're, we seem pretty split. Like there's, I think the for the folks who've stayed, it's, I would say it's people who find that the they either have like a, a good job already and that's kind of helping with the low cost of living. It's able to help them make the most of kind of that the way of living in Alberta, I suppose. And also people, especially specifically in Edmonton, who like, I think see the hope in Edmonton and, and still have that idea that, you know, like we're, we are a really great place to like work and live. And there's a lot going on here that, that necessarily won't necessarily be better somewhere else. You know, like we talk a lot about it being a festival city and a winter city and those sorts of things. Like I think people uh, can see that. Uh, and that's partially why they want to stay versus I think the people who want to leave don't necessarily think, that's all that it's meant to be or worked up to be here. Yeah, it is interesting, too. There was part of the study that looked at that idea of how you identify when you think of place, right? If someone asks you, you know, uh, do you say you're a Canadian? Do you say you're an Albertan? Do you say you're an Edmontonian? Um, what do you say when someone asks you, you know, what you are? Yeah, you know, I I thought that was very interesting because I myself would say, like, if I was talking to a Martian who came from outer space and they said, <laughs> like, tell, tell me, like, how would you describe yourself? I would probably say I'm Albertan, like I, I would identify as an Albertan. Mm. Um, and when I go to um, visit friends in, in Vancouver, for instance, like I tell people I'm from Alberta. I don't say I'm from Edmonton. Yeah. So I thought that in the study, I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, I had never really reflected on that. Like, how do I just define myself? And I don't necessarily define myself as an Edmontonian, I suppose. Because we've talked about your friends now. Um, but I'm curious about you. You're smack dab in the middle of this 25 to 29 range. A young person, you're starting your career, building that life. I mean, how has the idea of coming or going from Edmonton or Alberta more broadly Broadly played out in your mind. Yeah, I think this is it's like very topical for for my friends, but also for myself. Like I, I often joke for the last couple of years that I've been going through like a quarter life crisis, trying to figure out uh, what I want to do and, and particularly where I want to do it. Um, whether that's you know like picking up hobbies, picking up new sports, whatever. I'm like, is is that something I can do here, or is it something I can do somewhere else? Is it you know would I be will I be able to find the jobs to that I wanted you to have, be fulfilled in my career here, or should I be looking somewhere else to do that? Um, and what are my kind of my options? And I think for me, it's, it's, I've always kept an open mind to the possibility of leaving and have actively looked um, for work specifically in other places. And I would say that's probably like the number one hindrance is just like actually getting a job outside of the province, kind of the economic factor to, to leave. Obviously like uh, places like BC have, most of BC have a much higher cost of living. And so recognizing that I, I want to still have a, like a comfortable life if I move there. So 
I would say is the number one factor. Like there's some, some consideration for friends who are here. Um, I hope my friends aren't listening to this. <laughs> I, I would say, yeah, the number one reason to, to go is, uh, and, or let's stop me from going is probably work in terms of the economic stuff. Mm-hmm. I thought it was so interesting in the article it talked about, or in the study, it talked about how, like, al- although Alberta and BC have both seen like insane gains in employment, the youth like migration has still gone towards BC, which I think is so disconnected from, I like, every time I talk to my parents about like moving to BC, they're like, oh, it's so expensive there. And what would you do? And I'm like, well, clearly a lot of people are being able to afford to live there, even if it is expensive and finding work. So again, it's almost like a perception issue. Yeah, it's almost like it's not enough of a deterrent. I think, especially speaking as like another 27 year old, you know, it's not as if a lot of us are expecting to be buying houses in the next five or 10 years and doing that kind of settling down. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, yeah, okay, so I'm just paying slightly more rent in another place. But maybe that is worth it because of all these other things. Yeah, totally. And if if it turns out that I can actually have a great job there and I can afford to pay a little more, the article talks about how certain careers that are very in demand in BC actually have higher salaries than they do in Alberta. So it, it like it's almost a trade-off, right? You if you're making more money, you can afford a higher cost of living. I can afford to pay three hundred dollars more a month in rent, for instance, or at least that idea that I'll I'll get paid more <laughs> it, um, makes it less of a deterrent. Yeah. I mean, from your perspective as an actual young person, which is, I think that's a hilarious phrase that I keep calling you, but I'm going to keep doing it. Um, <laughs> what do Edmonton and Alberta have to do to keep young people here? I think the the the, um, the story was very interesting and or the, the study was very interesting. And it talked a lot about like the perceptions that people have of Alberta, both in Alberta and out of Alberta. And I think that's one thing uh, I found is like my... Like I, when I think about my day to day, like I, I enjoy living in Edmonton. I enjoy living in Alberta, but I feel like my perception of Alberta is different than that. Like I, I perceive the province as being, you know, like a very sleepy, like every city is a sleepy city and there's so much more adventure happening in other places. And so I, I almost wonder if it's like a brand management issue for, for our province. <laughs> like we, we haven't painted ourselves as a place that like living here, I understand, I know is you know, is an inclusive city, is full of opportunity, is a, is a really fun place to live. But I feel differently than that. Mm. Um, that disconnect I find so interesting, but as a 20-something, very confusing. <laughs> how do we square that, though, right? Because if it is a brand management thing, like, how do you change the way people even think about this place? Or is it possible? Well, I know the study talked about uh, the perception of Alberta, both um, within Alberta, but largely outside of Alberta, like perceives us as being a very oil and gas centric as more conservative and somewhat more intolerant to diversity. Mm-hmm. And I feel like those, unfortunately, especially the last couple of years, I think have been, I just think those have been like the front and center issues for Albertans. Like we, we talk so much about the energy sector, the federal election, obviously the whole province, just but the whole province is blue. Um, the CPC had a, a, a almost concerning stronghold here. Um, and then there's other issues that we have within the city of Edmonton, you know, like the violence towards Muslim women and issues like Pride Corner. Like if there's there are some things that I think are are like realities and narratives that we need to try and turn around. Yeah, I don't know what the solution is, though. Yeah. Do you think if enough of us move to Vancouver, we can call it West West Edmonton? <laughs> I feel like that knowing Vancouver people, it would become like East East Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
The other side of, of population change is people coming to the city, often people immigrating or settling here. Um, for some, they're coming as refugee claimants. I mean, I, so I did research. Okay. I looked at numbers from the city of Edmonton, and I want to throw some at you and get your reaction. Okay, hit me. So one in four Edmontonians in 2021 is an immigrant. Wow. Is it more or less than you thought? I thought it might have been higher than that. Really? But, I mean, yeah, one out of four. That makes sense. It is growing. By 2050, it's expected half of our population will have come from somewhere else, mm-hmm. um, which is, I mean, in this room, technically I did. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, of all the immigrants who came to Edmonton between 1980 and 2016, though, 17% were refugees. Yeah, my family and I, we weren't, luckily enough. But yeah, uh, yeah Canada was new home in yeah. 81, right? Absolutely. And the other aspect of refugees is um, that I found this number really interesting, too. Since 2015, more than 44,000 Syrian refugees resettled in Canada. In Edmonton, wow. we have uh, around 3,000. That's, 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 that's big. Yeah. It's really interesting to see just kind of it's how these for them. populations and communities grow and find a, a yeah. home and a space in our city. Uh, and I mean, of course, turn to today, we're seeing situations unfolding right now, creating more refugees around the world. Right. And Canada is very much kind of standing up to, to take them in and offer support. Um, of course, the war in Ukraine is one. Currently, more than three million people have left that country. Massive. And we're starting to see some of those accept into Canada. Yeah, we are. I mean, uh, you see it on the news every day about yeah. them leaving, trying to find a place to go. Finding uh, family here. Yeah, exactly. And uh, But really, it was only months ago too, that we saw another massive rush of refugees asking the world for help. Desperate to flee Taliban rule, Afghans are resorting to this, grasping at U.S. military aircraft and risking their lives. Desperate people pour onto the runway trying to flee the country in what can only be described as a chaotic exodus. The footage from Kabul airport in August was shocking to say the least. When Kabul fell to the Taliban, hundreds of thousands of Afghans fled their homes, adding to one of the world's largest refugee populations. For so many, getting out of Afghanistan was impossible. And for those who worked with officials of visiting countries or had ties outside of Afghanistan, they were in very real danger. But some Canadians were watching from afar and knew they wanted to help. Spencer Saker is a retired teacher from Sherrod Park who is dedicating his time to helping his friends get out of the region. Spencer, welcome to The Loop. Thanks so much for having me, man. I mean, I feel like I've been talking to you about uh, this, uh, you know, time in your life for the last year almost, but uh, it's been uh, almost eight months, hasn't it? Well, it's been been fantastic, man. And and I know like you and there's a couple other people that kind of were with me all along this journey Mm -hmm. as you were right from from August when uh, Naveed had contacted me Previous to that, when it looked like the, the government of Afghanistan was going to fall, his wife, Mashallah, had had scalding water thrown in her face for teaching girls um, at a school that I taught at in 2010. Naveed is a human rights lawyer that also worked at the school, so they were both targeted, and they kind of saw the writing on the wall of what was happening. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody anticipated that Afghanistan was going to fall as quick as it did. And it all kind of came to a head in that uh, in late August when when I I contacted you. And and so tell us a little bit about Naveed and Mashallah and your connection to Afghanistan. Uh, you know, you, you you mentioned you taught there year many years back, and I'm guessing that's how this friendship was formed. I was a phys ed guy, and as I started to move over into social studies, I wanted to be able to teach from experience. So I just started for my summer vacations going to different parts of the world. 
And in 2010, I taught at, uh, I taught street kids in Kabul at, at Ashiana school. And that's how I met Naveed and he and I were friends. He was, um, he was the finance manager at the time of the school. Mm-hmm. And so we just formed a bond and then just kept in touch over the years. And then when things started to go awry in Afghanistan, he reached out and said, like, can you help us? Uh, Spencer, I, I got to know, what's it like to be on the other side of the planet, really, trying to help friends escape a city like Kabul was at that moment where it was just kind of complete chaos? We'd gotten Naveed and Mashallah to the airport in August, and, and that was really harrowing. Mm. Like, they got caught in the middle of a firefight between the Americans when the Taliban was taken over the airport. Um, like, there's executions in front of them and the children. It was just absolutely horrific. Yeah. And I, I kind of got them tagged on with, with, an, with another group that was an animal rescue group. And we got them as far as literally to the last gate. One soldier on the other side of a chain link fence. They're calling the Pentagon to call this guy, let them onto the air, airplane because we were able to secure the P1 visa status with the Americans. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't to be. Mm-hmm. So we, they had to leave. The Americans knew. And again, I'm texting back and forth in men, and it was hard to believe that we're going through this, yeah. sitting in, in my deck in Short Park. But the Americans knew that there was an attack coming. They WhatsApp me, get them out of there right now, 10 kilometers away. They knew that this attack was coming. So the attack came. They're still on their way out. Their suicide bombers are coming. Get them out of there. And Naveed actually saw the drones come in and, and, and take out the suicide bombers, but luckily they, they were far enough away. Mm. So so we get them back to their home. I got a call from a really interesting group called the Pineapple Express, wow. which is basically uh, um, a group of ex-Special Forces, American Special Forces. They, they saw Mishala's story, and they said, listen, if you can get them to Southgate, uh, we can get them into the airport and onto a plane. So... I, I text uh, Naveed, and he's navigating through Kabul, trying to get through, uh, avoid check stops. Pineapple Express contacts me, said, we're getting overrun by Taliban. Tell them to turn around. And so what happened after that, after that point, basically, they went back and they went into hiding. And we had time after time after time where we were going to get them out. Um, uh, the airport was shut down, so now it's a much more dangerous proposition to get them out overland. But it kept on falling through, falling through. And that's when I decided in, in December to finally go in. And hopefully at that time, I didn't know how it was going to unfold, but uh, help get them all myself. I mean, logistically, you're doing all of this up to December off your phone, right? Yeah. You're saying you're texting, you're calling, you're hearing this. How challenging is it to do this kind of work and, and to be trying to help in this situation from, as you said, your deck in Sherwood Park? It was, I mean, technology is just absolutely amazing what's happened. It's like, so Naveed would, would, would text me his, his live location. I would send it to the Americans, and they're like, no, get him out of there. He's got to go to this spot. And then uh, they would text me a live location, and I would text it to him. It was, it, was, it was really amazing stuff that, say, 10 or 15 years ago, you'd think would be science fiction. And it was, it, it, I mean, it was, it was surreal being in my insured park and having all this go on. But to me, it was, it was almost energizing to, to know that, you know, you could help save somebody on the other side of the world. Mm-hmm.
So, I mean, Spencer, yeah, yeah, the, the WhatsApp messages back and forth that, that I would get from you, like, I felt, I, I can remember myself reading them in the middle of the night going, what? Like, this is crazy, right? Um, like, you know, hearing what was going on. Eventually, you made your way over there. How, you know, how difficult was that? And, and tell us what that trek was like to get from, you know, Alberta all the way over to, uh, I'm not sure if you got into Afghanistan, but neighboring Pakistan. Right. So, so what had happened was I had applied for, for a Pakistani visa and I still hadn't got it, but I'm like, you know what? I just told my wife, let me just go over there. And I it was, I thought that I could get a visa easier from Dubai. So I went to Dubai that ended up getting a little bit extended. I finally did get my Pakistani visa. So now I'm in Pakistan, the, the neighboring country and I'd written a book. So I used my, my, leverage as an author to meet the officials, the Afghan officials in the the Afghan embassy in Islamabad. And they granted me um, a visa to go into Kabul under the guise that I was going to write a book. Mm -hmm. And then at that time, I set up with an amazing American woman who this could not be possible without a lady named Meredith Festa, who basically funded the whole thing and organized the whole thing behind the scenes. So got into Kabul met Naveed, and then we got him out the uh, the uh, following morning, him and his family, but not without its share of, of uh, peril. So I landed, and Naveed and I, we, we had dinner, and then he said, you know what, I should probably get you back to your hotel before it gets too dark because the check stops. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. So we're driving along through the streets of Kabul, and sure enough, we get pulled over, and it's the Taliban. So they pulled Naveed out. And they're going back and forth. And then the guy comes over to my side, opens the door, glock to the head, get out of the car. The whole time, Naveed is, okay, Spencer, be calm, stay calm. It's going to be all right. And I'm like, I know, I know. It was the most surreal feeling. It was almost like third person. Yeah. It wasn't fear. It was almost like, I can't believe this is happening to me. And then the AKs are pointed. Naveed says, just be calm, just be calm. And, for some reason, I was at total peace, and it wasn't until the, the the commander got on his phone and and you know called his commander and said, "Well, what do you want us to do with this guy?" And I'm like, "I might have really stepped in it here." At that point, I didn't know what was going to happen. Like, I mean, how do you how do you talk yourself out of that situation? You're a Canadian in Afghanistan, and you're with someone that they're after. And I found out after me, I was actually in very little peril because. Oh. The last thing that they want was an international incident. The Taliban government is still trying to, you know, um, gain uh, legitimacy. So they didn't want something like that. Mm. Naveed, however, was in a tremendous amount of trouble. They're like, who is this guy? Why are you with him? Is he a spy? Why are you with him? We were lucky enough to get him out the next morning. As a matter of fact, just recently, the Taliban did finally get to his house and ransacked his house and they're looking for him currently. So this, this story isn't over. Yeah. I, so Spencer, I mean, as you said, like this story is not over. Where are Navita and Michelle now? We got them into a safe house in Islamabad. And originally I wanted to go actually travel overland with them, but they're like, no, 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 no. So I asked some people that were there, some Afghans said, well, what are my chances? They said 50, 50. So within Kabul, I was a lot safer than as soon as you get in the countryside. 50-50 was not a promising proposition. So I flew 
and met them on, on the other side because what they, they had to go through from Jalalabad to Torkham Gate is heavy Islamic State territory. And with a guy like me in, 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 in a vehicle, we would have been, you know, just stood out too, too uh, prominently. So I met them in Islamabad. Following morning, went out, got them all set up with groceries and whatnot. Then the Americans phoned me and said, ISI, which is Pakistani intelligence, ISI and, and the Taliban are kind of one and the same. They said, they followed you to the safe house. So they know they're there. Funding has now run out. Mm. I don't know if I can say this on here because not many people know. Mashallah is now pregnant. Their visas have run out. It's time. It, it's kind of where the rubber's got to hit the road. And I'm counting on our Canadian government of stepping up and hopefully granting them, um, you know, visas and asylum here in Canada. So, so that was like uh, towards December, right? That was towards the end of December. Yeah. So yeah. here we are now in March. I mean, what? How is it coming along with the Canadian officials as far as trying to get, you know, them out and their family out? Nonstop with with, with Nabeed and I, and, and they've had incidents there. Like it's better than Afghanistan, but they're not totally out of the woods. So what I did is I got them involved with it with a with a Mennonite church group here in Alberta called MCC who does private sponsorships for refugees, and they had five spots. We had to raise $33,000, so I, I enlisted. Who's better to, to take on a task, uh, something like that, than a hockey mom? So I got, <laughs> so, so I got Andrew's hockey team involved. Oh, nice. We raised the money. We oh, raised wow. the money. One of the hockey moms, Shay Lynn, she, she filled out all the IMM forms, Organized online auctions. It, it was just absolutely wow. incredible. So here incredible. we are now. We've got the forms. We've got the money. Now there's another international refugee crisis. And you know what has happened? It's now the Afghans are no longer the Priority. the case du jour. Yeah. And you know what? I support all refugees from mm-hmm. anywhere in the world, whether it's Ukraine or Afghanistan or it doesn't matter where. So I understand for those people. But what has happened is now, in my view, the Afghan people have been kind of forgotten. Spencer, I'm curious, too, about that situation, because as we're seeing the refugee crisis coming out of Ukraine, there are comparisons being drawn, right, between these situations and having all of these people needing help. How do you feel watching these two situations play out so close together, kind of at the same time? I I certainly understand that the... The, the strong support, so especially around the Edmonton area, because we've got such a strong Ukrainian community here. I suppose the difference that I see is we caused the situation in Afghanistan. We asked those people to step up and help us, and there's so many people. There's another uh, buddy of mine that I lived with, an interpreter. His family is targeted. And in my view, we've kind of turned our backs on them. You know what I mean? To, to start to rank in a hierarchy of who needs it most is is not a proposition that that I would like to undertake. But it comes down to look at these are my friends and they were there for me, and I feel in this case because Canada is kind of part of this whole situation that we've got an obligation to a certain extent to help these people. That this is not hyperbole. This is like we we, we were. This is literally a life and death situation. Spencer, that that is a. That's an amazing story. I mean, uh, just just the journey, you know, this is far from over for you, isn't it? Well, you're right. I mean, there's been a lot of people like, oh, this is amazing. What you've done is amazing. Well, thank you. 
but it doesn't mean anything unless we can get these people yeah. safely to Canada. And, you know, so I see people like Meredith who basically organized this whole thing, you know, on a larger scale, or even Naveed and Mishala and the kids, mm-hmm. what they went through. I just, my, my heart goes out to them, and I'm just hoping that this will have a happy ending for everybody. The Loop is a weekly podcast from CBC Edmonton, and our team is Min Darwell, Leslie Goldstone, Corey Haberstock, Olivia O, oh, and James Evans. Our theme music is Change Your Mind by Edmonton musician John Common, and I'm Claire Bonneman. Thank you so much for listening. And there's always so much more to know, so get into The Loop with us every Friday if you have a few moments. But next week, of course, is spring break. Woo! Cannot wait. I'll tell you that right now. We'll be taking a week off, and we encourage you to try and get a little rest as well. In the meantime, though, you can leave us a rating or a review wherever you download the show, or if you want to get in touch, we have an email, theloop at cbc.ca. Use hashtag theloop, CBC on social media, or reach out to us via Twitter. I'm at Min Darywal, and Claire, you are at? Naminob. Naminob. And, of course, follow the show on CBC Listen or your favorite podcasting app. See you in two weeks, people. Spring break. Peace out, For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.